After you put your songbook away, will you please get your Bible out with me again? Make your way over to the Gospel of Luke with me this morning, please. Luke, the 23rd chapter. Please go on your Bible to Luke chapter 23. It's so good to see all of you this morning. I was especially encouraged this morning by our, our worship to God. I was encouraged immensely by our gospel meeting that we just had a few days ago. Brother Roger just did a wonderful job teaching us the Word of God. Really fired me up, really encouraged me as a, as a Christian. I especially enjoyed how he spent a lot of time talking about Jesus, teaching us about Jesus, focusing on practical lessons that we can learn from Jesus that can help us as we try to serve the Lord today. I want to try to piggyback that, dovetail that, by talking with you about Jesus this morning also. And I want to begin with Luke chapter 23 and verse number 4. In Luke 23 and verse number 4, after Jesus was brought by the religious leaders to Pontius Pilate, and after he was accused bogusly of rebelling against the Roman Empire and trying to forbid people from paying taxes to Caesar, after Jesus spent some time with Pontius Pilate, in verse 4 it says, Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Drop down to verse 11. In verse 11, after Pilate had sent Jesus to Herod, and Herod was the king over Galilee. Jesus was from Galilee, and Herod was in Jerusalem for the Passover. And it says in verse 11, And Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt, and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. Drop down to verse number 22. As the crowds continued to shout, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them a third time, why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt, demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Drop down to verse number 39. In verse number 39, while Jesus is dying on the cross, it says one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling, hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, this man Jesus, he has done nothing wrong. Drop down to verse number 47. And verse 47, after Jesus finally dies on the cross, it says, Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly, certainly this man was innocent. Do you see the common thread that weaves its way through all those verses? Do you see what Luke is really trying to emphasize there in those verses. Do you see how in all those verses, Luke, the writer of this book, he is trying to get us to understand that Jesus is innocent. Jesus has done nothing wrong. Jesus is a guiltless man who is being, who is being put to death in the worst possible way. That is the point that Luke is emphasizing in that chapter. You see, in this chapter, in addition to giving us some details about the crucifixion of our Lord, like all the other gospel writers do, Luke also wants to emphasize that the Lord is innocent. He wants to emphasize that the Lord had done nothing wrong. Pilate knew this. 
Herod knew this. A Roman centurion knew this. Even a thief, even a thief who was dying with Jesus, he knew this. One of the thieves dying with Jesus, he knew that the Lord was innocent. In fact, in the case of this man who acknowledged the innocence of Jesus, I submit to you that he is probably the most famous thief in the history of the world. He is certainly the most famous thief in the history of the Christian religion. He is someone that we really don't know a whole lot about. We don't know his name. We don't know if he was married or if he had kids. We don't know which tribe he came from in Israel, but we still talk about him a lot, don't we? We still discuss him a lot. We still debate about him a lot. In fact, you and I both know that as Christians, usually the only time we give this man any kind of serious consideration is to debate with other people about baptism. It's to, it's to debate those who come to us saying, well, I don't believe you have to be baptized in order to be saved because the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized for the purpose of salvation. The thief on the cross wasn't baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And, and you know what that means? That means that I believe that we don't have to be baptized today. You ever heard someone make that argument before? You and I both know that for many people who are affiliated with denominationalism, that's exactly the kind of stuff they say. That's exactly the kind of debates they drag us into and bog us down with. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that that is very unfortunate for a couple of different reasons. First, I believe that that is unfortunate because when people bog us down and get us to just debate about baptism when we talk about this guy, it makes us really not like this guy. It makes us really kind of embarrassed of this guy and ashamed of this guy. It makes us think to ourselves, why in the world does his story have to be in the Bible? Why in the world did Luke and Matthew and the gospel writers have to include this man in the Bible? I mean, maybe, just maybe, we would be a whole lot more successful convincing people about the need for baptism if this man's story was not found in the Bible. Unfortunately, when we get bogged down and dragged into debates about baptism and the need for it, we allow false teachers to cause us to really not like this guy. We allow them to cause us to really not like this thief. In fact, I submit to you this morning that debating the issue of baptism and the necessity for baptism, that is not why this thief is mentioned here in the Bible. That is not why this thief is mentioned here by, by Luke. That is not why the Holy Spirit felt the need to inspire Luke to include this man in the Bible. You see, when the Holy Spirit inspired Luke and the other gospel writers to include this man in the Bible, he didn't do that to cause God's people 2,000 years later to become frustrated. He, he didn't do that to make us work a little bit harder and trying to convince people about the need for baptism. He didn't do that to negate the countless passages in the New Testament that talk about the need for baptism. Passages like Romans 6 and verse 3. 
In Mark 16 and verse 16, and Acts 22 and verse 16, and Acts 238, 1 Peter 321, Galatians 327, Matthew 28, 19, and so many others. The Holy Spirit did not include this man in the Bible to negate and override all those other passages in the New Testament that talk about the need for baptism. That's not why this man has been put in the Bible. Instead, the reason why the Holy Spirit put this man's story in the Bible was because he wanted to teach us some lessons about Jesus. He wanted to teach us some lessons about our Savior. He wanted to teach us some lessons about the Son of God that can encourage us and build us up and comfort us and give us some hope as we live in a dark and sinful world. That's why this man's story is found in the Bible. And if you don't mind this morning in this study, I want to show you that, okay? If you don't mind this morning in our study from God's word, I want us to revisit. I want us to revisit what the Bible says about the thief on the cross. And I want to present a lesson to you this morning that may be a little bit different. It may be a little bit different than what you're accustomed to when hearing about the thief. Instead of spending all of our time debunking all the false ideas that people come up with, about faith only salvation from this man's story this morning i want to challenge us to get out of debate mode for just a few minutes and let's just study this story in the way god originally wanted it to be studied let's get out of debate mode and just notice so many of the wonderful lessons that this thief teaches us about jesus for example, one of the lessons that this thief teaches us about Jesus is the Holy Spirit wants us to understand that through this thief, we learn so many lessons about the Lord's unselfishness. The, the Lord's unselfishness. You know, one of the things that has always touched me about the events that surround the death of Jesus is the concern that he shows for so many people during that moment. I mean, haven't you ever noticed that before? When we read through our, our New Testament last year, didn't you notice just how much concern the Lord shows to so many people during the last few moments of his life? I mean, think about that with me this morning. Think about how as Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem for the last time to die for the sins of the world, according to the Gospels, he is showing concern for, for an outcast chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. And he's showing concern to two blind men on the road to Jericho. And he's showing concern to a rich young ruler and lepers and religious leaders. And he also spends some time comforting and teaching and praying for and even washing his disciples' feet. Jesus does all those things not long before going to the cross. And when he finally does go to the cross, when he is dying on the cross, the gospel makes it very clear that he is concerned with everybody else except himself. He, he is concerned while he's hanging on the cross about his apostles. And he's also concerned about some women disciples who had been following him for a time, and he was concerned about his mother and making sure that she was taken care of when he was gone, and he was even concerned for his enemies and this thief. 
Look back at Luke chapter 23 again. This time, look at verse number 34. As Jesus is being mocked and shamed and ridiculed by his enemies, the Bible says in Luke 23, verse 34, but Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, was saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive these people, for they do not know what they're doing. Notice how as Jesus hangs on the cross, the people mock him and shame him and persecute him. He says, Father, forgive these people. Forgive these people for their ignorance. Jesus shows concern for people, his enemies, while he is being mocked and shamed and ridiculed by them. What a challenging scripture. And then look back at verse number 42 from our scripture reading this morning. After this one thief we're talking about this morning, acknowledge the innocence of Jesus. In verse number 42, Jesus, he said to Jesus, remember me, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Notice here, notice the attention. Notice the attention that Jesus gives this man. This thief, while he is suffering, dying on the cross. Notice this personal attention he gives this man while he is suffering at the hands of evil men. While Jesus suffers as he hangs him across, he actually talks to this man. He actually comforts this man. He actually shows compassion to this man, even though, frankly, this man didn't deserve any kind of compassion. This man didn't deserve any kind of grace or sympathy. He especially didn't deserve any of that from Jesus because just a few hours earlier, he was mocking and, and ridiculing Jesus just like everybody else was. Someone says, where is that found in the Bible? Well, that's found in Matthew's account. Go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 27. Keep your finger there in Luke 23. We'll come back there. But in Matthew chapter 27 and in verse number 44, the Bible says this. Matthew says the robbers, these are the same robbers. Same robbers we're reading about in Luke. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him. They were insulting him with the same words. Notice how in addition to the one criminal that Luke focuses on who was insulting and mocking Jesus, Matthew tells us in his account that both of them were doing that for a time. Both of them were insulting and mocking Jesus. Both of these thieves were angry with Jesus and saying harsh words to Jesus. But Luke wants us to know back in his account that at some point during their time on the cross together. For one of those men, they had a change of heart. One of those men repented. One of those men was touched. One of those men was converted by Jesus. While one of the thieves continued to shout insults and mock Jesus and try to challenge Jesus, the other thief, the thief we're talking about this morning, he stood up for Jesus. He rebuked that other thief. He defended Jesus. He told him that they deserved what they were going through, but Jesus is innocent. Jesus had done nothing wrong. That's what that man acknowledges. This thief we're talking about this morning, he acknowledged 
the innocence of Jesus. In fact, not only did he acknowledge the innocence of Jesus, but he also made a very specific request of Jesus. Going back to verse number 42 in Luke 23. Remember what he said in Luke 23, 42? Jesus, remember me? Remember me when you come in your kingdom. I think that's a very significant statement for a couple of reasons. First, that statement is significant because it shows us that by this time, by this time, he's become a believer. Do you see that? Earlier, he was mocking Jesus, but now he believes in Jesus. Now he believes he's the Messiah. Now he believes he's the Christ. Now he believes that he's going to establish a kingdom. In fact, not only does he believe that the Lord is going to establish a kingdom, but he also says, I want to be part of it. He also says, please don't forget about me. Please remember me. Please let me be under your rule, under your reign, under your authority. This man is begging. He's begging Jesus to save him. He's begging Jesus to take care of him. And notice how Jesus doesn't say to him, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute, buddy. I don't have time to worry about your problems. I don't have time to worry about your concerns. I don't have time to worry about your request to be part of my kingdom. I'm the innocent son of God who is suffering right now. You think I got time for you? I'm being mocked right now. I'm being shamed right now. In fact, wasn't I just being mocked and shamed by you a couple of hours ago? Do you really think I'm going to help you? You really think I'm going to help you? For Sean Jeffries and how bad I can be at times. That's what Sean Jeffries would have said. I would have rubbed it in his face. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus doesn't, doesn't seek revenge and retaliation against this man. Instead, the Lord, being the perfect Savior that he is, he offered compassion. He offered grace forgiveness. He offered this man all these things, even though he was the one who was suffering unjustly. Jesus, Jesus helped this man, gave attention to this man while he was the one suffering unjustly. And I got to tell you, that challenges Sean Jeffries. That challenges me. That challenges you. That challenges all of us. You see, if Jesus, the innocent and perfect and precious son of God, could be unselfish and concerned about other people, even while suffering and dying on a cross, then guess what? We can be that way every day in our lives. We can be that way all the time. We can be that way even when we're going through all kinds of problems and trials in our lives. Look, I don't care what you're going through in your life right now. You may be going through some tough times right now, but I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what difficult times you may be facing right now in your life. You can still be like Jesus. You can still follow in the footsteps of Jesus instead of focusing solely on your situation and how bad you think your situation is. You can still focus on helping other people and being a blessing to other people. We can all still show compassion to other people. 
We can reach out to other people, listen to other people, pray for other people, encourage other people, forgive other people, show hospitality, provide friendship to other people. We can do all these things for other people even while we suffer. That's what Jesus did. While suffering and dying on the cross, Jesus seems to be worried about everybody except Jesus. He's the one suffering unjustly, and he's worried about his mother. He's worried about these women disciples, the apostles, praying for his enemies, and even giving attention to this thief. He's worried about everybody except himself. That's how we got to be. That's how we have to be in our lives. While suffering, we got to learn from Jesus and never cave in to selfishness. This thief, when we get out of debate mode, we can see some things about this thief. We can see that this thief teaches us about the Lord's unselfishness, but not only does it teach us about the Lord's unselfishness, secondly, it also teaches us some things about the Lord's grace. It teaches us about what Brian was talking about this morning. It teaches us about that, some lessons about that song we just sang. Jesus' grace reaches even me. Think about this thief. Let me ask you something. Why is he dying on a cross? You ever thought about that? Why is this guy on a cross? Why in the world is he next to Jesus? I mean, is he dying on a cross because he's a good guy? Is that why he's on the cross? Is he dying on a cross because he's just a nice guy, the perfect next door neighbor, a good model citizen? Is that why this guy's dying on a cross? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. This man, this thief, this robber who's being crucified by Jesus, he's not being crucified because he's a good guy. He's not being crucified because he's some good model citizen. Instead, he's being crucified because he's a bad man. This is a bad guy here. This is a wicked man. This is the worst of the worst. Luke calls him a criminal. Do you see that? That word criminal that Luke uses there in the Greek refers to a bad person. It refers to someone who has been convicted of some very serious crimes. In fact, in the time of the Roman Empire, the most serious crime you could commit, the crime that would certainly get you put on a cross and made an example of by the Roman Empire was not being a thief. It was not being a robber. It was not stealing someone's goods. You're not going to get put on a cross in the time of the Roman Empire for being a thief. Instead, you're going to be put on a cross in that time for being an enemy of the state. For being a revolutionist. For being someone who was rebelling against the Roman Empire and murdering Roman soldiers and officials in an effort to overthrow the government. That's the kind of stuff that will get you put on a cross in the first century. And that's the kind of stuff that this guy did. This is a bad man. This is a bad man dying next to Jesus. But notice how despite that. Despite the fact that he is probably a murderer and someone who is trying to overthrow the Roman Empire, despite the fact that he is a rebel, when he humbly submits to Jesus and seeks to make him his Lord, you know what Jesus does? Jesus saves this man. 
Jesus forgives this man. Jesus extends to this man grace and mercy and compassion. Through this man, Jesus shows us that John 3 and verse 16 means what it means. God really does love the whole world. Luke 19 and verse 10, Jesus really did come to seek and to save the lost. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, God really does want all men to come to repentance through this thief by forgiving and saving this criminal, whatever you want to call him. Jesus shows us that he is willing to save anybody. He is willing to forgive anybody. He is willing to accept anybody. He's willing to even accept you, no matter what you may have done in your life. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 1, please. I'm going to my Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And if anyone understood this, the Apostle Paul did. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and in verse number 12, 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12, Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me. Because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I formerly, notice Paul says, I formerly, I was formerly a blasphemer, a blasphemer of Jesus and a persecutor and a vile aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant notice with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. What is Paul saying there in those verses? Well, Paul is saying that if God was willing to save him, someone who was a blasphemer, someone who persecuted Christians, someone who went into the homes of Christians and drug them out of their homes and threw them in jail, someone who consented to the murdering of Christians. Paul says, if God is willing to save me, he's willing to save anybody. He's willing to be in a relationship with anybody. He's willing to be in fellowship with anybody. He's willing to be in fellowship even with you and you and you and you. And me, no matter what we've done in our lives. It doesn't matter what sins we've committed in our lives. It doesn't matter what bad things we may have done in our lives. It doesn't matter if you've been an alcoholic. It doesn't matter if you've done drugs. It doesn't matter if you've been to prison for selling drugs. It doesn't matter if you've committed fornication with more people than you can remember or if you cheated on your spouse, or if you committed homosexuality, it doesn't even matter if you murdered somebody. This man who's dying with Jesus, he was a murderer. He's a bad man, he's a criminal, an enemy of the state, dying at the hands of the state, and yet when he humbles himself and submits to Jesus, Jesus saves him. Jesus extends to him grace and forgiveness. He allows him to experience the wonderful gift of salvation. And my dear friends, he'll do the same for you. He'll do the same for you. He'll save you no matter what you've done. He'll save you just like he saved this man. If you're willing to submit to him, do what he says on his terms, he will forgive you. He will give you a clean spiritual slate. He will do that because he loves you. He cares about you. He is truly the Savior of all. 
That's what we learn when we get out of debate mode and look at what the Bible is really telling us here about this man. Through this man, through the story of this man, you know what the Holy Spirit is announcing to us? He's announcing to us what the gospel is all about. He's announcing to us what Jesus is all about. He's announcing to us that Jesus has extended his grace to every single person. If he'll save this man, he will save anyone. We learn lessons about the Lord's unselfishness. Lessons about his grace. But let me close by also putting on here how from this thief we also learn we also learn some powerful things about the Lord's power to make powerful promises and his ability to keep those promises. His ability to keep his promises. You know, I could promise you a lot of different things today. I could promise you a million dollars. I could promise you a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. I could promise you the Phoenix Suns will win the NBA championship or the Arizona Cardinals will win the Super Bowl. I could promise you all that stuff and it would be pointless. It would be pointless, you know why? Because I have no control of any of that stuff. I can't make good on any of that stuff. I don't have the power to, to, to give you a million dollars or buy you a nice a luxury vehicle or control who's going to win a championship. I can't make good on any of those promises, but Jesus, Jesus is different. Jesus has the ability to make promises and the ability to keep his promises. Go back to Luke chapter 23 one more time, please. And then we're going to get ready to close here in just a moment. In Luke chapter 23, again, verse 42, notice carefully the language with me. Verse 42, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, today you shall be with me in paradise. I want you to notice the request that this criminal, if I can use the language robber, makes to Jesus on this occasion. Do you see that request in verse 42? I submit that that request is a very interesting request. It is an interesting request because this man was not asking to be blessed by Jesus on that day. He, he was not asking for something good to happen to him on that day or, or in that moment. Instead, this man was asking Jesus to, to do something good to him in the future. He was asking to be blessed in the days to come. He was asking Jesus to remember him whenever he came in his kingdom. This man wants a future blessing. But notice how the Lord, the Lord gives him more than what he requested. The Lord actually one-ups him. The Lord actually tells him, I can do better than what you're asking right now. I, I can actually do more than what, than what you're asking. I can actually save you and bring you into a place of comfort right now. I can save you today. Today, I can promise you that you will be with me in paradise. Here, Jesus promises. He promises to save that man that day. He promises to take care of his soul that day. And we know that Jesus certainly kept that promise because three days later, he came out of the tomb. God's not going to raise a liar from the dead. 
You see, from what the gospel tells us here, when we get out of debate mode for just a few moments, we learn that Jesus is so powerful, he's so amazing, that he can do far above for us than what we can imagine. He can do exceedingly more for us than we could ever imagine in our lives. He can certainly keep every spiritual promise he's made to us in his word. He can really take away every sin we've ever committed. He can really forgive us. He can save us. He can bring us into his kingdom, but we got to make sure we trust him. We got to seek him. We got to have faith in him. We got to humble ourselves before him by submitting to the terms he has given to receive God's grace. That's right. We got to submit to Jesus' terms if we're going to receive the grace of God. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because while this story that we're looking at this morning, this narrative, is a wonderful account of a dying man receiving God's grace, we need to understand that what this man did to receive God's grace is totally different than what we have to do to receive it. For those of you here this morning, for those who may be watching this on the internet later, listen carefully. Unlike this man, unlike this man, we're not dying next to Jesus on a cross. We're not having a personal conversation with Jesus from a cross. We're not living under the old covenant like this man was. We're not living before the great commission like this man was Instead, we are living after the Great Commission. We are living after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We are living after Jesus spoke these words in Mark 16 and verse 16, where Jesus says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. When did Jesus speak these words? Did he speak these words before the cross or after the cross? Did he speak these words before the thief or after the thief? When we write and divide the word of God, we learn that Jesus spoke these words after the thief. The thief was already dead when Jesus spoke these words. He didn't hear these words spoken by Jesus. But guess what we have? I have. You have. We all have. We have this morning. And you know what that means? That means we're obligated to obey it. We're obligated to do exactly what Jesus says. The story of the thief is not put in the Bible to be some loophole around baptism. It is not in the Bible to override passages like this or Acts 2.38 or Romans 6 and verse 3. Or Galatians 3 and verse 27. The story on the thief has nothing to do with what we have to do to be saved. Instead, it is a story put in the Bible to teach us some wonderful things about Jesus. It's there to teach us about the unselfishness of Jesus. And the grace of Jesus and the power of Jesus to keep his promises. That's why that's there. And let's appreciate that this morning. In fact, maybe there's somebody here. Maybe there's somebody here this morning. 
and you say, I want what the thief got. I want to be in paradise. I want to be saved by Jesus. If you want to be saved by Jesus, my friends, you need to do what Jesus says. You need to believe in him. You need to be baptized. You need to repent and be baptized. You need to do the same thing that everybody else in the book of Acts or everybody in the book of Acts did to be saved. That's what you need to do. That's what the Lord has prescribed. And that's what you're willing to do. You come to the front right now. We'll help you. Let's stand.